Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Audit Book. And today we have another awesome interview with a successful, very successful founder. His name is Tope Autana, and he's the founder of Calendly, which is software me and my friends use daily and admire highly. So, Tope, hi. Hi. How are you, Jane? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sure listeners will take away so many things from you. It is my pleasure to do this. Great. So before we get started, I know what Calendly is and I use it daily, but tell our users what Calendly does and how you got started with this software product. Sure. So Calendly is for those people who do not like set, sending seven emails to find a meeting time. Right. So uh, for people in customer-facing roles, so people like you, podcasters who are uh, scheduling meetings with uh, scheduling interviews, right? It could be an inside sales rep who's doing a lot of prospecting. It could be a uh, financial services advisor that has clients. They spend a lot of their times trying to find a time to w- meet with the clients. And before Calendly, went a lot like this. Are you available at 2 p.m. on Tuesday? And they'd, they'd come back and say, no, let's try Wednesday at 2- 3 p.m. And then the other person would say, hey, that doesn't work for me. And before you know it, you've sent seven emails trying to find a time that works for a lot of times it takes more time to find the meeting, uh, a meeting time than the actual meeting lasts, right? So uh, I actually had the same problem and I uh, came up with the idea for Calendly. And uh, so what Calendly does is instead of sending, trading seven emails, you share a link with uh, the invitee. And when they click on that link, they'll see all the available times that you're available to meet with them and they pick one that works for them at their convenience. It gets added to both parties' calendars, uh, so uh, it's just uh, it's a really really powerful productivity tool uh, for people in all kinds of different roles. Absolutely, I second that. And I'm in a different time zone. I'm in Russia, so in addition to that, you know, all this mess of adding and you know subtracting eight hours, <laughs> it's just driving me crazy. I mean, it was before Calendly appeared. So thank you so much about that. <laughs> Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, you know, you, you're so right. I this I uh, I had a personal need for this, so I, I you know I kind of had a vested interest in making sure that we would create something that was not only um, not only be a successful business, but would also personally help me. So uh, it's worked out that way so far. So you started out to scratch your own itch, but how did you make sure that idea was successful? And uh, I mean, how did you get started with the business itself? Yeah, so many different. Uh, uh, so yeah, so I, I can share a little bit about that. So <clears throat> before Calendly, I had actually dabbled in a few business ideas. So just some side projects, nothing really serious. Um, but what I learned from those lessons is that it's very difficult to passively grow um, a solid business, right? So you get what you put out of anything, right? Uh, and I found myself before that, I found myself looking for business ideas rather than um, Rather than letting the ideas come to me, rather than, than really working on ideas that needed to be worked on, working on problems that were uh, that were meaningful to people and problems that people were willing to invest time and effort into solving. Right. So, um, fast forward to you know two years ago, I was a software sales rep for a large company called EMC. I sold to a lot of uh, clients, and I spent a lot of time training emails with people. Um, and I thought there had to be a better way than you know trading emails back and forth with people. So I started looking for scheduling tools, and I found a lot of scheduling tools, right? Um, but I found a lot of them for um, you know there were a lot of scheduling tools out there for 
for doctors, right? For dentists, for uh, masseuses, for chiropractors. So for a lot of people in the services business, but there are not as many uh, appointment scheduling tools for, you know, for salespeople, for recruiters, for recruiters, for podcasters. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, so that kind of helped with validating the idea. It's obvious that, you know, people are willing and ready and willing and able to pay for scheduling products because we saw them being used in other different verticals and other different industries, but none had been really created from the ground up to address the needs of, uh, of business professionals. Absolutely. So you got that pain that you were ready to satisfy. And how did you set up out to build the product? Yeah. So um, initially, I, when I first had the idea, I was not committed to actually building the product. I just wanted to you know, do a ton of customer discovery and see if there really was uh, an opening for yet another scheduling tool. So I spent two, two, two three months just on, you know, without, any, uh, without being attached to a specific outcome. I just let the discovery lead me to, uh, to whether a new product needed to be built or not. And what I saw that well, there was indeed a very large market. Uh, and once I, dis- once I confirmed that there was a large market and that we could do something uh, that would be compelling and introduce new users to the market and also convert users of the legacy scheduling tools over to this new product, I was committed to developing it. Uh, initially, I did not. I tried to find a technical co-founder and it was very difficult to, and I did not want to wait. So what I ended up doing is I ended up... Uh, finding a great uh, development agency um, in Europe, actually. And uh, that's how we got it started. Awesome. And, you know, your way is completely different from what most founders experience because you have so much sales experience up front, and this is a rare occasion. At the same time, you spend the first few months validating the idea and growing the market, which is also a rare occasion because, you know, most founders have a development background and they have a tendency to dive into development from day one. And this is not the right thing to do. I'm so glad that you are completely approaching it from a different side. Well, yes. And there are, there's two good reasons for that. One of the reasons was that I'd had two failed projects that didn't work so well, right? So the first one, I thought I knew everything there was to know about the market, right? I launched this, you know, this e-commerce website. And then I found out that after I launched it, I, I, there's a lot I didn't know about it. And I had no business. If I would have known what I didn't know about it before I went into it, I would have, I would have probably not gone into the in, in, into the market, right? What, uh, what kind of obstacle did you face then? Tell us more. So I'll, I mean, I'll be more specific. So it was an e-commerce store uh, that sold projectors, right? But I didn't, I hadn't even bought a projector in my life before. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So I was, yeah, I was not a projector enthusiast. I did, I knew nothing about projectors besides the models that I wanted to carry and sell. Uh, so when people would come in, they would ask questions about projectors. Um, I didn't know the answers. I didn't really know how to guide them uh, towards buying a project. I didn't, I, I had no, you know, the, the, I had no good reason for being in the projector business besides the fact that I wanted to start a business, right? So I had two options at that, at that time. I could either learn about the projector business, um, which I decided I didn't, I didn't want to learn about projectors. It was not exciting to me. And I thought that um, not only is it important for you to know the market that you, you want to be in, it's important that you're generally excited about this, right? It's something that you're passionate about. And I just was not passionate about projectors. Uh, so that's one reason in which once I had the idea for Calendly, I spent a lot of time doing customer discovery before I even went into the market. I wanted to know exactly why this product would be better and be able to articulate why it's better uh, than nothing, why it's better than the competition. 
and who is good for, who is not so good for. You have to know those things very well. Uh, like the back, you know, you know, you, I, you should be able to wake you up at uh, five o'clock in the middle of the night and be able to tell you why Calendly is the best scheduling solution for you. Right? <laughs> uh, so that was, one, that was one big reason I wasted a lot of time. The second big reason was because I was bootstrapping the company um, and I was not an engineer. I knew that I had to pay for every single dollar of development. I thought that by doing customer discovery and doing a really good job of customer discovery, I, with the smallest budget possible, I could build uh, the most compelling product, right? So if, you know, if development is cheap to you, right, it doesn't really matter if you build something and it doesn't work, you can scrap it and start all over again, right? But I knew that I had a, a good budget, but it didn't allow for too much of an error, right? I didn't, my, you know, margin of the, my failure margin was kind of, you know, thin. So I knew that I needed to get it relatively right. And I needed to build the right set of features that would be compelling for a user on day one and that's also the reason why I doubled uh, down on customer discovery. Absolutely. Before I ask you questions, how you nailed the design, can you tell us more about the customer discovery phase? Because this is extremely important and you just seem to have, you know, been very successful there. Yeah. So I think customer discovery for me was um, A, that I I had an opinion about scheduling myself, right? So I scheduled a ton of meetings, right? And I still schedule a ton of meetings, right? I'm, I'm actually, uh, you know, there's a few users out there who've uh, eclipsed me, but I'm still one of the heaviest users of Calendly two years after the fact, right? Um, and there are people who've gone on to what, whatever, right? So I know a lot about scheduling just because I, I scheduled a lot of meetings as a salesperson, right? Um, so that's one thing is just being able to know and having your own judgment about what, what matters and what doesn't matter. That's extremely important. The second part is placing a lot of premium on not what people tell you, but what they actually do, right? So uh, one of the most interesting things about the customer discovery process for me was I did not interview one single person, right? Okay, what I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what I actually did instead was I used a lot of the legacy scheduling tools. I think I may have used probably 30, 40 different scheduling tools. I and you did that yourself? Myself, right? I didn't Amazing. outsource it. Yeah, I didn't outsource it to the engineer. I did it myself, right? I signed up for every single one of them, you know, became experts at using every single one of them. I read through their support portals. What did people really like about the product? What did they hate about the product? What were they complaining about? Uh, what kind of uh, things were they, yeah, just, you know, what did they like? What did they not like, right? Uh, and I had a really, really good idea of that. And, I, and that's what customer discovery was for me. So just looking at the people who are actually using it today, who are using legacy scheduling tools at, at the time. and. Um, trying to understand what they liked, which is, it's very important, right? So to know what people already like and the existing tools they have and what they feel like is missing or what they feel like is poorly executed. This is eye-opening because you entered the saturated market and it's super saturated, very mature. Mm -hmm. And you managed to, you know, scrape all the best uh, features together into an amazing product that clearly was a winner and is a winner today. This is amazing. <laughs> Thank you. And I guess the one other thing I wanted to add to that is just knowing who your knowing who your user base is, right? So while we while I took a lot of time to learn about the legacy scheduling tools, I also knew that we weren't building a product that we weren't trying to just modernize the legacy scheduling tools. We were trying to build a different uh, scheduling tool because for one a lot of the legacy scheduling tools were really built for, like I said, you know, people in the health and beauty market, right? So doctors, um, you know, maybe 
you know, people who owned uh, salons and, and things like that. And we knew those are not the people we were building for. So from day one, we eliminated a lot of the features that that aren't, you know, that a business professional wouldn't need, right? So, you know, from day one, and just the way we thought of availability. So, you know, you look at the health and beauty market, for example, they have the same, they have the same set hours, you know, Monday through Friday, right? And they don't need to be able to customize different availability based on the different types of, you know, meeting, right? There are other things they need to uh, customize. But at any rate, so just, we, we just kind of knew that our, our audience was the business professionals and we were laser focused on building the best set of features for the business professionals and not trying to build a product that worked for business professionals and uh, health and beauty uh, folks. But coincidentally, because we've done it so well for business professionals, probably, you know, 10, 20 percent of our user base uh, are you know, people in the health and beauty space. But that's not really our core audience that we're building for, if that if that kind of helps. Absolutely. Interesting, because I had in my questions, I had a question for you that you're appealing to a very wide audience, like, but from your standpoint, I see that you're actually appealing to a narrow niche as opposed to, you know, that health and beauty and medical industry and everything. So it's, it's very interesting how we look at the problem, but you're still not, you don't have a very defined target audience, like designers who are, you know, 30 years old, <laughs> live in America. You're targeting an audience that seems to be quite big still, even though we imagine that you don't include, you know, beauty consultants or whoever. Still, how do you find uh, people online who you market to? Yeah, so our marketing strategy to date has been primarily, um, you know, an inbound marketing approach. So what we do is we know that if we make Calendly super useful for our existing users, um, we know that they'll use it. And when they use it, they cannot use it in a vacuum, right? So it's not really worth your time to schedule a meeting with yourself, right? So we know that if we make our users happy, they will invite other people to schedule meetings with them. And once that happens, those new people find out about Calendly and then the cycle repeats itself, right? So that has been our primary user acquisition strategy today. And what we do is once those people then arrive on our, on, on Calendly, we educate them on the different use cases and the ideal and who the ideal Calendly user is and how they would use it. Right. So today, and so, you know, so far what we've done is just doing a job, uh, try to focus our efforts on once people find out about Calendly, we try to highlight the fact that, you know, they're probably the ideal user or not. Yeah. So how you have the viral component built right into the app itself. Correct. A very strong viral component. That's awesome. Could you share some kind of numbers with us? I know it's very confidential, but maybe the number of your user base or some hint. Like, and we're especially interested in the free and paid breakdown. Yeah, so I can tell you that um, about our total registered user base, about eight percent of the total registered user base is on a paid plan, right? So mm-hmm. the majority of our users are on the free plan, and we're perfectly okay with that. Um, we've actually made our free plan very, very uh, powerful so that, you know, to, to have that kind of distribution so that um, only the super advanced users would be uh, on the paid plan. Um, uh, is it is it a very, why would you do that? Because I'm on a free plan, even though I like paying to other SaaS businesses. It's just really very feature rich. Yes. Uh, so why do we do that? We do that because uh, the free users help us acquire paid users, even even in spite of giving so many people the app for free, 
right? They, you know, the free users help us find the paid users. And when you do the cost of, uh, you know, our, when you look at the, uh, you know, the unit cost of acquiring a customer for us, it is still cheaper uh, with the kind of distribution that we have, right? So Got it. it would yeah, be, very smart. Yeah, it would be, it's a lot cheaper for us to have that kind of freemium model that's very, you know, that has a rich free, uh, free component to it than it would be if we um, had to, um, if we had to, you know, acquire each customer through paid advertising, for example. Right. Yeah, that so makes perfect sense. Correct. That's Absolutely. The for us. Yeah, and just just to give you an idea of uh, what the you know the size of the user base is, every single month, you know, you have roughly about you know two hundred thousand people scheduling you know using Calendly, and that number we find is generally growing about double digits every single month. Amazing! I'm so happy for you. This is a bootstrapper's dream right there. <laughs> it is, but we're hungry to do more, and uh, we're working on so much more. Great. So going back to design, when I first opened up Calendly a year and something ago, I was immediately struck by the quality of your UI. It's, you know, it's aesthetically pleasant. It's clean. And how I know you hired an agency to do that, but I'm sure you you, you did manage the process very much. I did. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so I think it starts with, I guess, kind of going back to some of the things I mentioned earlier is... Um, you have to have your own judgment about what's important. And, you know, it's, it's easy to say simplicity is important. It's, it's easy to say design, you know, you know, the aesthetics have to look good, but it's harder to make the call about when it looks good and when it's simple or not. Right. So that's where your judgment. Oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone sets out to build a simple product. Nobody ever sets out to, to build an advanced product, but I think the challenge that people that you're faced with as a product manager, manager or as a company is what's really, really important. And, uh, you know, what can 80% of the user base benefit from 80% of the time versus what helps 5% of the time, uh, what helps 5% of the users 5% of the time, right? So as soon as you didn't ever interview a live user, how did you know? <laughs> well, well, in the beginning, I did not interview live users, right? So mm -hmm. before I before we built an initial version of the product, we didn't, we didn't interview live users live users but today we do that every single day right so uh, mm -hmm. as a matter of fact the, the the very first probably several thousand calendar users i sent them you know direct emails from me and just asked for unsolicited feedback and whenever people would take me off on it i got on i got on the phone with those people and i learned a lot about uh about you know all the, the things we got right and the things we needed to improve on but yeah so going back to your question about uh how did i know i i think <laughs> <laughs> that's where I'll say I'm not so good at describing. Um, I, I'm not, I don't know how to make somebody else a good uh, judge um, of, uh, of simplicity, but I think I, I think I have the eye for it. And I don't, I don't know. That, I don't know that I can, you know, break it down into, you know, uh, you know, this a set of certain qualities. I just think I have, I generally have, I have that judgment. And I think part of that comes from being in software sales for, Um, a long time, right? So one of my very first software sales job, jobs, I worked for a large uh, enterprise software company, and we would win a lot of deals when we sold to the to the to the management, right? When we sold to the IT leadership, right? Um, because the product was so complicated. But if there was any user facing component of it, we just did we did poorly, right? The users just it was too clunky, it was too difficult for them. So I learned very quickly there, you know. Um, about um, 
about the importance of you know simplicity and design and how that that the product I was selling at the time lacked it. Right. Fast forward to my my after that experience, I worked for another company which placed a huge emphasis on on uh, winning, getting the buying of the end users, and I saw how you know how the end users responded whenever whenever we're demoing the product to them, and I saw the kind of things they liked. I saw how they you know you know what kind of features made them get it. What, you know, when they didn't get it. So I learned a lot about, in short, I guess I, I learned a lot about, uh, you know, what people respond to very well in terms of, you know, simplicity and usability. And um, I, I guess I kind of acquired that knowledge over the years and, you know, it's helped me kind of make, uh, you know, product and design decisions over Calendly. But you're right, you know, you, I think a lot of that starts with the uh, the judgment of the person that, uh, that's building the product. And, you know, when, uh, and another way to find out is are people using it? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. If they're not using it, it's probably uh, it's probably very complicated, right? And if they are using it, maybe you've got some things right. And uh, but nonetheless, there's always room for improvement, right? Absolutely. And you know, your kind of software—it's incredibly important how it looks like because it's not just user facing; it's facing the clients of the user and. Myself, I'm very sensitive to what my clients see, you know, what kind of software I use. And Camly just looks perfect. So you did the job 100% good. Well, thank you. And uh, the other thing I, so it's interesting you say that because, so in doing my customer discovery, one of the things I decided that would be an important differentiator for Calendly would be design, right? But <clears throat> nowhere in my research, so did anybody say they wanted design? So no, nobody said, <laughs> hey, this, these existing tools, they're ugly, right? They were ugly, but people weren't really, they were just, it's almost like they were just happy to have, they were so excited about, you know, like the utility they got, they got from the product. They weren't so focused on design, but it also so happened that at the time I was kind of coming up with the idea for Calendly until today, the most, you know, the most successful technology company is, uh, is Apple and they built their whole business around Simple, usable, and powerful products. So, um, I, I thought, wait, if you if it works well for the you know for the you know for the most profitable company of our time, surely it's something that uh, scheduling could use too. We could learn some lessons from them. Yes, but it's much easier said than done. Actually, what was your process? Uh, did you put together wireframes, prototypes? Did you test it? How how did it go? Yeah, so we our processes before we build anything we. Uh, we wireframe everything, right? As a matter of fact, you know, depending on the complexity of the feature, we actually will, you know, we'll go as far as high fidelity mockups, and probably more often than not, we do high fidelity mockups than we do just wireframes, right? Um, we try to you know, mock, mock up as much of the entire interaction as possible before we write a single line of code, and uh, <clears throat> a lot of things we would find in the in the um, you know. By mocking up every single, you know, every single state and every single case, and what happens if there's X amount of availability? But there, you know, let's what happens if you have, you know, all seven days available versus if you had no dates available, you know, no, no days available. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of different scenarios. But what, one of the things we found is a lot of t- you can tell you can make some decisions about complexity in the, in the design process. If it's complex to if there's too many screens describing all the different states of a uh, of the of that page, it's probably too complex, right? Um, if it takes, a, if you have to put a lot of text in on that page to explain what's going on, it's probably too complex, right? So before we ever started writing a single line of code, we kind of 
you know, the wireframes and the mockups give us an idea of, you know, are we overbuilding this or is it just the right amount of complexity? Um, so that's one of the things we do that works really well for us. And then the second part is, uh, you know, when we actually fast forward to the implementation piece, uh, we don't really develop any functionality without having fully mocked up what it looks like. Uh, it's easier, it's easier said than done because a lot of times you're anxious to, uh, you know, you, you want to move fast, but, <laughs> but we found that every time we do, we skip that process, we build, uh, you know, we don't, you know, we end up rebuilding stuff all over again. So we just, that's just a hard, a hard and fast rule uh, that we follow. Finally, uh, we involve the entire product team in, in testing the product, right? So the, the designers test, all the engineers test, and when they test, they're really testing it. We test not only for functionality and also stability and, you know, does a feature work. We also test for usability. If I wasn't given a manual uh, to read before I get to this page, would I know how to use it, right? Um, so we involve everybody in the in the uh, in implement, implementation process, the design review process is uh, a very collaborative process between the engineers and the designers. The you know the I as the product manager get uh, and the uh, and the designer we team up in the beginning to uh, bring the initial concepts uh, to take the initial concepts and you know advance them to the point in which they're mockups. But as soon as we have you know maybe you know forty fifty percent of the designs done, we share it with the engineers right. They'll present, you know, and they'll give us their, you know, their feedback on it. It's to this, what you designed here looks good, but it's going to be technically complex to implement that or vice versa. Uh, so we involve the entire uh, product team in, uh, in the design review process. And, um, you know, and again, once the, you know, once the product is ready to be tested, everybody's involved in testing. And so a combination of all those things is, uh, kind of what's helped us for, uh, with, um, with a building uh, products with the with a good design. What can I say? This is no small win, really. There. <laughs> it is not, and it's it's definitely an ongoing. It's an ongoing process, and you know, there's uh, there's even more that we want to do to get even to get even better better there. Um, is it an an in house team that you have today, or is it still the same agency working on a product? It's a it's a mix of in house talent and. Uh, um, and um, some offshore uh, talent, right? But the the, the uh, design team is in a house. Mm-hmm. So you're investing heavily in, in that part. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I imagine you received like hundreds or thousand feature requests all the time, but you've managed to keep your product lean. How do you do that? Yeah. So I think it kind of goes back to. Um, you know, being users of the product ourselves, right? So mm-hmm. it's amazing. This is just going off on a completely different angle there, but it, it's amazing how many feature requests we get that are really essentially people looking for um, people who may not have a full understanding of the capabilities that they already have within in a Google Calendar, for example. Right? So we spend a lot of our time probably educating people on how to use Google Calendar. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So we, we want to make clear to people that we're not we're not a calendar cal, you know we're not a calendaring program. We're a scheduling uh, layer on top of Google Calendar, right? Uh, but that aside, you know, we use the same judgment that we use to uh, to you know build features in the you know to build features in the, features in the pr- first place. Who needs this feature? Is it you know we have about eight core groups that we build a product for, right? So 
we've talked about some of those earlier inside sales like personas personas right exactly right so is this something that you know more you know m- many how many of these different personas would benefit from this feature right and of the people different you know let's even say all of all of them do how often do they really need this feature is it you know is it something that comes up once a year is it something that comes up you know 50 times a year right so just trying to quantify if we had this in place who would use it why would they use it and is this the best way for uh, for this to be for this problem to be solved right um, we try to think of the problems holistically right a lot of times you know users are really really good about suggesting very very specific features right but what we like to do is step back and understand okay um, they're asking for this specific thing but what what are, what are they really trying to do and what what else is related to this and how can we find um, a coherent a co- coherent and comprehensive way to deliver this uh, we also like to really understand why people need things right so Again, people are very good about requesting very specific features, but um, how does that help them in, t- in their entire workflow and, and entire business process? So we, one of the things we try to do every single day is we try to understand what step in the larger entire workflow is currently participating in. Right? So let's take the case of an inside salesperson. Um, they use Calendly to schedule prospecting calls, to so schedule demos, but before that happens... They're using maybe marketing automation systems to send out emails to those prospects in the same place, right? After that meeting is scheduled, this information now needs to flow to the CRM. Right? We try to understand the larger picture and understand the job they are actually trying to do. Uh, so those are some of the things we uh, try to understand and in, in, in figuring out: is this really something that's useful, and you know, how many people is it useful uh, to, and how often would this even come into play? Mm-hmm, got it. So you've been out for two years, correct? Yep. yep. And uh, since your launch, how many new features did you introduce? Do you keep building stuff all the time? We're building, we're building, building stuff all the time, right? So there was, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, it would be hard to quantify the number of new features that we've built. Sure, sure. Um, mm-hmm. But I can say every month we probably, um, so we use Pivotal Tracker. I don't know if you're familiar with them. We were, yep. Yeah, and we follow the agile development process. I would say, Every month we're probably delivering uh, probably about 100 stories or so, right? And maybe 70% of those are new features. 30, 20% are maybe improvements for uh, existing features, right? And then maybe 10% of our things that are not even user-facing just to continue to beef up the architecture, right? Um, But let me back up real quick. So one of the first things we did when we first launched Calendly – was when we first launched our product, we took about a three-month hiatus in which we did not add a single new, new feature. And part of that was <clears throat> actually because of the availability of the engineering team that was working with us at the time. They just, you know, there was like a three-month gap in which we couldn't really get, because uh, uh, I was still building up the team in the very early days and I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have a, uh, a full-time engineer. So, but what uh, it was actually a blessing in disguise, right? So, We launched the product, and an interesting thing happens when you launch a product. Even though you've done all your research, uh, and you think you've, you know, you're, you're, you're building something that's going to change the world, in the early days, you still don't really know, right? So this is your first time putting this in the hands of people, and you get all kinds of requests. Oh, I would use it more if, it's, if this button was blue. I would use it more. You know, <laughs> it, it's hard to sort out what's trivial or what's a deal breaker. 
Um, and for me, it's if, particularly. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. It's particularly tricky because most of your user base is uh, on the free plan, and those are specifically, you know, um, troublesome sometimes. <laughs> exactly right, and the same people who want to, the same people who love the product for its simplicity, want to add a lot more complexity to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. They say they wanted to keep it simple, which is true. But then, if you added all the features they wanted, it would probably not. <laughs> it wouldn't be simple anymore. <laughs> Right. In the beginning, we uh, we had all these requests and people were coming with all kinds of, you know, um, great ideas. Right. But we didn't really know. (laughs) We didn't really know which uh, which ones were deal breakers, which ones were not. So um, so I feel like week two, I I thought I had enough feedback and I was ready to act on all these different things people were saying left and right. But, you know, I didn't really have the resources to because of the way that engineering resources um, um because of the availability of the engineers, I had to wait another two, three months maybe to act on them. But an interesting thing that happened in that time is after three months, I'd gotten a lot more feedback and I'd actually been able to compare the feedback to the usage, right? So people were complaining about the same people, you know, I, I guess long story short, we found out that we were able to really sort out who needed additional improvements to fine tune the user experience or who was never he was probably never a good fit for the product, no matter what we added for it, right? Um, so, the, the, you know, be, not being able to act on the on the request right away helped us, you know, you know, get more uh, uh, better quality information to make real good decisions on. So that by the point, we, you know, when we had the research, engineering resources available, the features we ended up working on were completely different from what we would have worked on if we had all the resources um, right away, right? Um, so that that happened to be a blessing in disguise for us, but at the time it felt uh, frustrating. Absolutely. So, what is your philosophy? Um, do you believe that your product can be in a stable state of things, or why do you keep evolving? Do you think that you know you're alive while you're developing new features? Well, I think I, I use a, I'm a consumer of products myself, right? So I use a lot of different tools. And there's nothing that makes me more happy when I log into, you know, let's take Intercom, for example, as a product that we use um, to communicate with our users, right? Um, mm-hmm. And nothing makes me more excited when I log into Intercom and I see a little update from them. We've added this, we've added that, right? And Got it, yes. <laughs> there is, yeah, it's super exciting for an end user uh, when they, you know, when you release these new features. For, so for that reason, uh, <laughs> if only for ourselves, we, we like the apps that we use that continuously innovate and we want to be that company, right? We think uh, constant innovation is super important, but you should also always stay in tune with who you are. You should know who your users are and what they really want. And, uh, you know, you, you, you want to innovate without making the product bloated, right? So for us, it's just a question of we want to make sure our users continue to stay happy. Uh, we know that all the apps around us are, are evolving every single day. So it's important for us to be able to make changes, to be able to keep up with that. The innovation of other people, and maybe they're in our space, maybe they're in related spaces, but um, you know, by constantly innovating, that's how all, the only way we can ensure that we're constantly deliver value to our users. But, uh, but we will always be that company. We will never have a product that we're, uh, that we're not aggressively innovating. Right, right. So, so, you managed to bootstrap a company from scratch to a super successful consumer product, which is gold 
in the industry is very hard. And uh, what would be your number one takeaway for our listeners when it comes to product design, product market fit? Um, I think what you, I think it's the most important, those two things are the most, you know, they, <laughs> they're probably the most important. Thing, <laughs> Sorry. Right? Yeah. Um, what's, uh, what's for me, because I did a lot of work on around customer discovery and, um, and design, right. I was basically effectively able to grow the company to where we are today with a 10th of the resources, right. That, um, that I would normally need, right? So I, I look at it this way. For each, uh, there's probably some math you can do out there to figure it out, but let's put it this way. For each maybe month of good, really, really good customer discovery you do, you probably save yourself, you know, $200,000 in developing costs and maybe another three months in, uh, in, you know, in time to market, right? So doing those things up front and getting them, up, uh, getting them right up front really saves you a lot of time and money. And that's, that's what, that's been my experience. Everything we've done, we could have done, um, you know, if, you know, if, if we didn't get the design right, if we didn't get the, uh, you know, the customer discovery, right, maybe we have a product today, but maybe it takes us, you know, you know, another three years to get to where we are today because we didn't uh, do all the research up front. Absolutely. That's great advice. You, your advice on researching existing products and using them, actually, is something I've never seen before in such scale that you mentioned 30 products. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, I, so a lot of that comes from my business, uh, so my, from my sales background. So a lot of times when you're selling, I guess one of the things I learned in sales is, um, you know, when you're selling to somebody, they could either be, they might, you know, there's always direct competition. There's always indirect competition, right? So if you came to me today and said, Hey, Top, I want to sell you. Uh, I'm trying to think, you know, every single day I get 30 different, you know, vendors who are looking to sell something to me. And all those things are probably important for the business, but there's maybe we're engaged on, you know, in three, four other initiatives right now that even though, you know, whatever they're selling may be important. Um, I'm, I'm so occupied with the different projects that we're working on right now. There's no, we don't have the time or the bandwidth to, Let's even say we had the money. Like, you know, we don't have the time to work on this other initiative that they have just because of the timing is, is off, right? So their competition in this case is not just their, you know, whatever competitive product that exists for that product. It's also how does this initiative compare against, compare in priority against all the other initiatives that we have, right? And uh, so it's good to think about, you know, who your direct, you know, who your direct com competitors who are your in, in, and also who are your indirect competitors um, as you build your product and make sure you have a really good uh, uh, strategy to uh, to address both of, both of those. Yeah, so nobody's building products in a vacuum, you know, environment. And uh, yep, mm -hmm, absolutely. So, to tell us where people can find Calendly online. Well, <laughs> yes, the. Address is Calendly.com. That's all Surprisingly, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Calendly.com. And as you've mentioned, uh, the product is uh, it's free for the basic version. And the basic version is very powerful. So what you can do with the basic version is, um, you know, all the things you, you you do, Jane, which allowed us to schedule this meeting. So it's very powerful. has, you know, integration with your calendar, whether it's Google Calendar, whether it's Office 365. And in a few weeks here, we'll be uh, introducing integration for uh, for Outlook, right? So for all the Outlook users out there, we'll now have a solution for them. So 
and all of that comes with the with, with, with the basic plan. And with the pre- premium plan, sorry, with the premium plan, they just get more uh, additional options to customize the experience even further. Absolutely. All my consulting friends said hi and big thanks to you <laughs> Really, when they learned that I'm going to interview this for, for the book. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, we, we thank you all for being users. You guys make it all possible. Yeah, we'll leave off it seriously because there is no easy way to schedule a consulting you know, meetup, really. So, Tope, thank you so much for sharing your advice. This is incredible, and I'm sure our users will take away so many things while, while building their own products. And um, I hope your business keeps blossoming. Thank you, thank you very much, and I appreciate the time. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, like I said, the, our experience uh, helps uh, your users. And if there's anything else we can do to help, by all means, uh, do not hesitate to let us know. Thank you so much. Thank you.